I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. Paying for college shouldn't be the hardest part of higher education. Hi, it's Rena Ninen, co-host of the Ask Lisa podcast. I recently spoke with U.S. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona about FAFSA, the free application for student aid. Did you know you can apply for financial aid today and you'll get a response within one to three days? Check out our show notes to the link for the full interview on our Ask Lisa podcast YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe for the latest videos from Lisa and me. That's the Ask Lisa podcast YouTube channel. Hi, I'm Rena Ninen, and this is Ask Lisa, the Psychology of Parenting podcast. It's a podcast to help parents better understand their kids. Dr. Lisa Demore, a psychologist with three decades of experience and the author of three New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. Both of us are moms ourselves, and we're eager to hear from you. So send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And join our community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Ask Lisa Podcast. Encore episode 127, How Much Gaming is Too Much? What are the signs of a gaming addiction in your child? It's easy in the summer to have lax rules and allow for more gaming and more screen time. But when does gaming cross the line into being too much? One mom writes in worried about her son, who used gaming to connect with friends during the pandemic, but now is actually gaming alone while his friends are spending time together in person. Dr. Lisa in this episode unpacks a research on gaming hazards and addiction, as well as some unexpected benefits of gaming. I get answers to key questions like, when is it time to really worry your kid's spending too much time gaming? And what should parents do? We hope you'll enjoy this encore episode that initially ran earlier this season. How much gaming is too much? You were the one during the pandemic, the start of the pandemic, who got me to pay full price on something, which I never pay full price on, you know. <laughs> it was an Xbox. You said mm. to me, this is a way for boys sometimes to stay socially connected. I shouldn't fight it. It's not, don't be so anti-gaming. But we got a letter talking about, when do you know it's too much, Lisa? Yeah, this was a heck of a letter, Rena. Should I get right into it? It's really good. Let's just do yeah. it. I, I, and again, I know I say this every week. Oh my gosh, the letters we get. Yeah. They are just, they're brilliant letters. Yeah, and it, it touches on so many issues. This one says, Dear Dr. Lisa, 
My son is 13 and spends most of his time gaming in his room. He gets good grades, generally turns in assignments on time, stays out of trouble, plays seasonal sports, piano, learns Mandarin, and is involved in his school's leadership. However, after school and on weekends, instead of running around, hanging out with friends or inviting friends over, he chooses to sit in his room and spend the time gaming on his computer. He can literally spend all day gaming in his room, except for when he needs to come and join us for meals. I understand the need for it during COVID as kids needed to isolate and could socialize with each other online. But now his friends have all moved on to being together in person instead of spending the time playing together on their screens. Am I missing the obvious? And that he's developed an unhealthy addiction. I also worry that while his peers are out and about socializing with each other, my child will continue to be stunted socially and not learn how to appropriately interact with peers and adults. My other worry is that he lacks motivation to find another, and okay, I know this is judgy, a more worthwhile passion. Thank you again for your advice. This is a lot that the mom is sort of putting out there, but amazing that she's tuned into this. Yes, and she gives us such helpful detail to start to really um, figure out if there's grounds for concern and what they would be because she answers so many questions that I would have, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I think, you know, right out of the gate, you know, I would be thinking, well, you know, how is he functioning at school? And is he turning stuff in? Is he doing other things, right? I mean, all of those questions are answered yeah. in here. Yeah, she says he's doing so it. So it, it helps us home in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, these kids doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. So what, I mean, it sounds like he's a good kid. So why would you worry, Lisa? Yeah. It does sound like he's a good kid, right? And I totally get it why this mom's like, I don't know if I should be concerned, especially yeah. in this landscape yeah. of things. So here's what we know from the research, right? Like, you know, I always like, I'm just, I'm just going to go with what we know from the research. There are studies showing, including a very new study from Oxford, the kids can do a lot of gaming, like spend a lot of time on gaming. And we don't actually have evidence that that in and of itself harms their well-being. Like, I just I just want to say that. And and I think, Rainey, it's always so interesting to me when you want the research to say something it doesn't say, right? I was like, you know, I look at this research and I'm like, I want there to be research that says that, like, if your kid crosses this particular threshold of more than three hours a day, like, their brain is going to turn to jello. Yeah. We don't have that kind of research. I mean, what we really do see is that there's some kids who get themselves into trouble with gaming and that there is such a thing as an addiction and we should talk that through. But if you just go straight by the data, mm -hmm. not by what we wanted to say, not by our <laughs> opinions on it, kids can play a lot of video games without obvious evidence of harm. Okay. That's good to know because I don't think most parents know that. I guess the question is exactly what the mom raises. Is, so when do you de determine how worried should this mom be? How much gaming is too much? When do you cut it off? Okay. So the question of whether there's such a thing as a gaming addiction is a really interesting question. And that's also something that we've spent real time on in the clinical and research literature. And part of the issue is that I think appropriately so, psychologists get very, very prickly about the using terms in an elastic way, right? Like, you know, we could say there's a social media addiction, there's a gaming addiction, there's, a, you know, like, we're always like, well, wait a minute, we, we have a whole literature and understanding of what addiction is. Like, let's not rush to use this word everywhere mm -hmm. all the time. But that said, there is increasing consensus on what an addiction to gaming looks like. And I'll tell you exactly what it is, because I think this parent is asking, does my kid have an addiction? And here's how you would know. 
So in addiction, and this actually very much matches how we think about it with substances and other things, is sort of a two-part thing. One is the term we use is compulsive use. And the best way to understand that in terms of what it looks like in your family is cannot stop. Right. Anytime I use, I think I see the word compulsive on the page of one of my clinical journals. I'm like, yes, it's the can't stop feeling, right? Like I am doing this thing and I cannot stop doing it. That's what compulsive means. So if you have a kid where you're like, you need to get off and they are like, I can't, Mm -hmm. right? And like kids will tell you they can't, but they may be super grumpy and get off. But if you have a kid where it is like ugly when it is time for them to stop and they are really, really have this sense of like, they cannot stop. They you know, there's their stopping is a huge blow up in your home, mm-hmm. like flag, red flag, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's one thing we worry about. And then alongside that, the other thing that we're always interested in about, you know, crossing the line from like heavy use to addictive use is, is it getting in the way of their lives? Is it undermining other aspects of their life that should be happening or growing and thriving? And this mom actually sort of gestures in that direction around the boy's social life mm-hmm. and his, you know, his peers. And I thought it was such a, I loved the way she framed it of like, you know, they're all out together now right. and he's in his room alone. Like, is he going to end up stunted? And I think that's a great question, right? Because kids should be growing in their skill set. And so she has this question. And what I would say is, if there's a worry that the gaming is starting to undermine his development on the social plane. That is grounds for concern. And if you really, you know, strictly wanted to call it an addiction, you probably could get away with it at that point because it's undermining functioning elsewhere. But how do you tell um, that your child isn't socializing? He doesn't really want to hang out. You know what? I like being in my PJs on the weekends too. So is this really a problem? But like you said, wow, she raises this great point, you know, is he going to have a hard time socializing if he doesn't get into the rhythm now? How do you tell the difference, Lisa, when you've got to do something innovative to get him out? Absolutely. Okay. So this is like, I think this is in some ways like one of the most critical questions that gets raised by this letter. And I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, like I have two daughters. One of them is very introverted. One of them is less so. My introverted daughter, my older daughter, like she would come home from school and like beeline for her room, not because she didn't like us, but because she didn't want to be around anybody. Like she'd been around people all day, like in socializing for kids, especially for kids who are introverted, socializing is very taxing, however skilled at it they may be. So if I were sitting in the seat of this parent and I had this concern, I think one way to approach it would be to find someone at school you really trusted, you know, someone you know who's going to give it to you straight and just say, I got a question for you. Like my kid is like deep into the games when he gets home and I worry that this is undermining his fluency with social skills. What do you see in at school? Because here's the thing, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. Teachers have so much information. They are they are just data m- machines, right? And the beautiful thing about teachers is they're also measuring your 13-year-old against every other 13-year-old in that room and all the 13-year-olds they've had for the last 10 years. So true. So it's so, so true. true. So what I would say, first of all, if a teacher tells you they're worried, you should be worried wow. right? because you know they like they don't say it lightly. They are working with a lot of information. Right. And if a teacher's like, no, he's lovely, right? Like yesterday, a kid spilled paint on himself in art, and your kid was the first one there, just as gentle as could be, taking care of him. You know, people like him. He gets picked for things. People want him around. He handles himself beautifully. Don't sweat it. 
I, I would take that very seriously. Um, if the teacher were more reserved and said, I don't know, like he can, he, he's, he's fine. Um, but no, he's not, you know, particularly social or at ease in it. Or if she said, and this, okay, this Rena gets to something else that I think is always in the conversation about video games. Like parents worry about violence in video games. They worry about its impact. And what we know, again, the data don't say what we want them to say. What we want the data to say are that violent video games are horrible for kids and they're going to make everybody really violent. Okay, the data don't say that. What the data do say is that they move kids up a bit in their um, how aggressive they are. So if your kid is not aggressive at all, video games might make them a bit more reactive aggressive. But again, the way we think about it in the data is, does it have real world consequences? And those are sometimes hard to measure. But a very... I think a very nice corner of this research literature is around kids being more reactive to slights. What do you mean? That so, you know, if you think about violent video games and you think about our principle that what fires together, what wires together fire, what fires together wires together. Like the things you do repeatedly start to lay down patterns in your mind. And if you think about, you know, um, live action video games are, you know, very act, what we would all just sort of the general violent video game universe. It's a lot of like scanning the environment for evidence of um, threat and then responding very, you know, mm -hmm. quickly to that threat. So if you're doing that, like literally thousands of times an afternoon, yeah. one of the things that comes up in the research literature is your kid may be walking down the hall and somebody bumps them. And there's a possibility that as a result of all this gaming, they're going to take that as more of an aggressive act than it really was. Wow. So it's more triggering. And it may or may not. It may be more triggering, but it may or may not like turn around and punch the kid, right. right? I mean, like that's the thing. Like that's where it gets so murky in the literature is like we don't have evidence they're turning around and punching kids more, but we do have reason to think that they may view the world through a more hostile lens, right? So, so I would listen really carefully for something like that from a teacher. Mm -hmm. Because that would probably hint to me that the gaming was starting to be, to get in the way of forward development that we would want to see. That they're easily triggered or irritable when they yeah. shouldn't be, essentially. Yeah. Or just, yeah, the, just the more like um, hostile reactive view to, of the world than, than we would want any kid to have. Yeah. We're going to pause and take a quick break, Lisa. On the other side of this, I want to ask the question this mom is asking is, how do you pivot from gaming to finding new passions? What really works? We'll be right back. You're listening to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. EarthBreeze EcoSheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using EarthBreeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. 
This message is sponsored by Greenlight. We spend a lot of time teaching our kids please and thank you. But one thing I've realized I haven't spent a lot of time teaching my children is how to be financially responsible. We started using the Greenlight app and it's made a difference in helping them have that conversation about money and to really understand how it can affect their lives. Greenlight's a debit card and a money app that's made for families. I can send money to my kids, keep an eye on their spending and their savings. I didn't think I would need this app, but my kids are absolutely loving it. And they're getting the concept of what it means to save. I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age that you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash asklisa. That's greenlight.com slash asklisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash asklisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herb squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash ask Lisa. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask Lisa, the psychology of parenting. We're talking about when is gaming too much? So this mom asked Lisa, um, she really wants the child to pivot to some other passions. What have you found in your experience works? Because sometimes when a child is focused on one thing, it is very hard to get them to try and do anything else. It is hard. And so let's start with a big principle here which is that variety is good for development and variety of exposure to different things is good for development. And when I think about in retrospect, why the pandemic was so hard, you know, one of the things is that it really narrowed kids' lives. They just had contact with very few people. They did very few things. And we, we liked to see exposure to lots of things for development. So let's take a more on its surface palatable example. Okay. Say your kid becomes obsessed with the violin right and and like you know say in place of the word video game in this letter we put violin right like this kid you know his friends are out playing he beelines for his room he's playing the violin all week he, he comes down for meals right yeah. okay so on the surface we're like well okay you know like that feels like it's got more you know kind of cultural <laughs> value and like we like it better <laughs> but i think i would still have some questions of like but shouldn't his life have more stuff going on than like school and violin? And and it sounds like this boy's does, which is also, I think, something I want to acknowledge. But the bottom line is we want kids to be doing lots of different stuff because you grow in different directions based on what you're doing. And when you're doing one thing so often or to the exclusion of other things, it, it can cause, in some ways, I would say almost like an over- um, an overdevelopment of certain muscles and an atrophying of others. Oh, that is good. Say that again. 
So like an overdevelopment of certain muscles and an atrophying of others, right? So like, so this kid's video game muscle is like, as they would say, swole, you know, like <laughs> this is the new term for when kids are like big muscles, like I'm swole. So he's got a swole. My own, just let me just say that if my own adolescents could hear me using slang. Like, <laughs> I was unaware of know. that term. So thank you for educating you know, me. Well, welcome to my world, right? So, okay. So he's all swole in the video game department, but She's worried that he's becoming atrophied in social skills or other things. So this kid does do stuff. I would say, though, it does sound like a lot of gaming. Mm -hmm. And if she's uneasy, and I would also just say to any parent, like, listen to your gut, right? If this just feels like too much, like, I authorize you to listen to your own instincts. I think it is okay to say, all right, buddy, I love you so. And I'm not saying no to games. I am saying you need a little more variety. These are, I came up with five after school things you could do, five, you know, different ways that you could break up your time on the weekends or after school, you got to choose one. Mm. You got to choose one. And if the kid's like, I hate them all, you can say, that's fine. You come up with some Mm -hmm. and we'll figure something out. But I think that idea of like, you come to the negotiating table and just say, you know, I just, I won't, you know, it just feels like gaming's taking up too much space, you know, in the pie chart of where your life, where your time is spent, the gaming pie slice is just too big. Like we got to bring it down a little bit. Okay. So what works, Lisa, in trying to get them to see other things when they're, maybe they just love football or they love that violin. And if they're good at it too, or they're into it, how do you get them to move in another direction to find other passions? I think you have to give a rationale, right? This is the other thing. This kid's 13, right? He's probably in the eighth grade. And, and, you know, I think there's so much around teenagers around the worries we have and the things we want them to do differently. And I'm, I think that often adults are quite right about those things. Like I actually don't have a, any issue with concerns about social media or video games or any of those things. But I think so often we skip the second part of the conversation, of is, which is you're talking to a teenager. Yeah. Like you can't just tell teenagers what to do, right? right? Yeah. And so I think that here the mom really does need to have a pretty fleshed out rationale. Right. So it really may be her saying, you know, buddy, this is uh, the gaming. I worry that you're sitting too much or I worry that you are um, spending too much time on one thing when there's other things that would help you learn and grow in other ways. And so I want you to do this, but I'll work with you on how mm-hmm. you do this mm-hmm. or even how much. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think you, you got to be willing to negotiate. And so I think that's how you do it is both an explanation and um, coming to the table together as opposed to the parent trying to hand it down. When you step back, is there anything else that makes you worry or gives you concern about this scenario? I think the other question I would have, and this goes back to that what fires together, wires together, you know, these like neurological patterns that get set down. You know, when we look at the research on the cognitive impact of video games, What's very interesting is video games actually can build cognitive skills. And again, the data don't say what we wanted to say. We wanted to say it turns your brain to jello. But in fact, what the data say are that um, it can actually improve attentional processes in that when kids are playing video games, what they're doing is they're scanning screens and they're catching peripheral information and they're needing to pay attention to a whole lot of stuff going on. And so it sharpens you know, those, those skills in some ways. Um, we also know from the data that um, 
especially first-person games where the player is navigating spaces, actually do improve spatial skills mm. and the understanding of 3D environments and rotational wow. things. And yeah, no it's actually pretty interesting. This, to me. <laughs> this is it's fascinating. New. It's fascinating. There's a whole line of literature around um, what we often do see girls dropping behind boys sometimes in math later in high school. And one of the explanations, so there's nothing in terms of, um, you know, endowment at birth, right? There's no biological reason why boys or girls would be any more or less capable in math. But one of the explanations that seems to find pretty decent support in the literature is that, you know, a lot of these boys are playing first person games, their spatial skills, their rotational skills are being built by those and higher order math tends to depend on spatial reasoning. Mm. And so, and we even have had studies done where we put have kids do spatial games for a while, spatial video games, and then it turns out we do see those skills wow. improve. Okay, so so there's this interesting thing, but there's also this other thing that we see. So there's evidence that it builds some cognitive skills. But one of the questions that comes up in the literature is with regard to attention, video games really improve that kind of scanning awareness of what's happening, you know, on the screen. They may make it harder to sit in class hmm. where your job is to pay attention to the teacher and not pay attention to the kid next to you and what he's doing. Oh, that's interesting. So you're saying that sometimes it can create you looking at other distractions, I guess, on the other side, left and right of you. Yes. Yes. Wow. That what may be see like maybe a, a you know skill set that develops that's actually helps with kids ability to play video games well and that we can say is a cognitive skill set i mean to be able to scan environments and pick up all sorts of information is it's is a value in certain settings could be a hindrance in classroom settings where it's comparatively boring right yeah. i mean like you can't really focus. like how how to stay focused. You got to focus on the one thing happening at the front of the room. And if you have built up all of this neurological musculature around scanning the environment and noticing everything that's happening, that could make it pretty hard to get through a third period, right? So, so the other thing I would say, and maybe this is part of how the case gets made to this kid, which is you need to build, you're building all sorts of neurological muscles on the video games. I'm not saying they're bad. They may actually help you in calculus. Like I hate, you know, that is the truth. And I also need you to build the neurological muscle of sitting and focusing, right? Mm -hmm. And again, find out if this is an issue at school, find out, you know, what else you're hearing from teachers. But you can say you can be in your room, but I need you to read a while, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can for every hour you want to play video games, you got to read for half an hour. Mm -hmm. I mean, those kinds of negotiations can happen. But again, like just if we think about wanting kids to have many, many skill sets developed over the course of the day, privileging one activity over all others um, can compromise that. It's great to know. Boy, um, you have really opened my eyes to gaming in a way that I, I did not know based on the research that you're talking about. It's fascinating. Before we get to parenting to go, is there anything you want to leave with parents before we go to wrap this up? What I want parents to do is what this letter writer did, which is to look at the whole world of the kid when trying to figure out if there's a problem. Because 
I, I know how anxious we can be about screen time. And I know that there are headlines that just say screen time. And then parents think, oh my gosh, my kid has a lot of screen time and maybe I should just be concerned. And this, this mom was like, yeah, but I mean, he's thriving. He seems to be doing well. He does all this other stuff. And I just, I, I think the best parenting is in that murky space, mm-hmm. right? Where it's not clear if there's an issue or not. And we take it all under consideration when then seeking help. And I just, I just um, have so much admiration for how unreactive this mother was um, and the way she framed this question. I love this. And I felt the same way. And the letters we get in, I know we say this often, but just the care and the mindset that these parents are in seeking help. I love it. I absolutely love it. Lisa, what do you have for us for parenting to go? Rena, one of the things I think about a lot these days are norms in the environments we're in. And I think about the way in which we're all shaped by the norms of the environments we're in. And I think this is especially true for young people. So another way parents can assess how worried they should be about a kid's use of video games or social media is to think about, well, what are the norms in those environments, right? So for example, if a kid is using video games in a place where the norm is that kids are playing together and throwing around slurs like crazy, which is a norm in some of these environments, that's grounds for concern. Mm -hmm. If a kid is using Instagram in a way where what they're looking at is nothing but eating disordered behavior because that's what the algorithm has produced, that's grounds for concern because that norms eating disordered behavior. So as parents are trying to tease apart when to worry about spaces and places kids go and online environments they spend time in, one way to drill down on that question is, am I okay with the norms that are being established in that environment, which you could be with some video games, or you could be, in fact, with some social media use, or do the norms in that environment make me uncomfortable and I don't want my kids spending a lot of time in environments where that kind of stuff is being normalized? I learned so much about how the environment you create can make a difference and sort of looking at it completely in the whole range um, can help you solve the problem and break it down. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, next week, we're going to talk about tracking your kids online. When should you do it and when could it ruin your relationship? I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.